Turn to 1 Kings. Do any of you kids know what book comes after 1 Kings? You are all so smart. Do any of you kids know what book comes before 1 Kings? Yeah, Liam. 2 Samuel. He's got that chart memorized. List, that list memorized. Well, I don't remember whose idea it was to preach through 1 Kings. And I know it wasn't mine because I was intimidated by the idea. And so thanks to Alex and Paul for encouraging me to go ahead anyway. Must have been one of their ideas. So they, per- they persuaded me. 1 Kings starts at the very end of King David's life. Now, we all know a lot about King David, I hope. Uh, We know that he was a man after God's own heart. We know that he was king, the second king of Israel after Saul. Not such a good king. And that the kingdom was still united at that time. Judah and Israel were, were one, but not, not for lo- much longer. Just, just one more king. There were only three kings over a united kingdom. Saul and David and Solomon. And after that, it's split and everything goes haywire. But before we get to everything going haywire, we have the end of David's life where everything goes kind of haywire. (laughs) And that's where we get to start, is the end of David's life where he is old, very old, and not just... uh, Not just old, when I say very old, I mean suffering the effects of age, right? Uh, I think I saw in a a, um, commentary that he would have been 70. I didn't try to figure out the math myself, so it's not super old in number of years, but if you think about how hard labor wears a man out, and you think about the things that David had been through, it is hard labor to fight, is it not? (laughs) It takes its toll on your body, and he was a fighting man for much of his life, starting when he was still young, when he fought Goliath. When we read of some of the Things that he also suffered, even when he wasn't fighting, where he was hiding in caves, living out in a rough band of men. It's not exactly the kind of life that leads to you uh, pampering your body and keeping it all nice and healthy. He was worried about staying alive, and having food. 
And then he would worry about whether his family and the families of his men were still alive and whether he was going to have to go and fight the people that had captured them, for example. So many, many hard things that David had been through, much of it simply fighting. And so as he ages, his body is suffering. And what happens is that he is cold. This is not an uncommon thing for people when they get older, that they have trouble staying warm. And David had real trouble staying warm, so so much trouble that he couldn't even keep warm with the blankets on. They didn't have electric blankets back then. That might have helped. But the solution that they come up with is a little bit weird, maybe? Sketchy is the word that I was about to say. Uh, So we'll read it. We'll talk a little bit about that. But but you got to realize what we're dealing with here is the end of David's life and sort of what, what is the end of his life going to look like. And this is sort of a defining feature, but it's, it's only really put into the story right at the beginning of 1 Kings to provide context for later on. We'll have to come back to this story uh, later on, not today and deal with it a little bit more. So let's stand for the reading of God's word. 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 1. We'll just be reading the first 10 verses. Now King David was old, advanced in age, and they covered him with clothes, but he could not keep warm. So his servants said to him, Let them seek a young virgin for my lord the king, and let her attend the king and become his nurse. And let her lie in your bosom, that that my lord the king may keep warm. So they searched for a beautiful girl throughout all the territory of Israel, and found Abishag the Shunammite, and brought her to the king. The girl was very beautiful. And she became the king's nurse, and served him. But the king did not cohabit with her. Now, Adonijah, the son of Hagith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. So he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen with 50 men to run before him. His father had never crossed him at any time by asking, Why have you done so? Now, it doesn't say right here, you're supposed to know that his father is King David. So just in case you kids weren't tracking, Adonijah is David's son, and Hagith is Adonijah's mother, okay? Let's keep going. His father, David, King David, had never crossed him at any time by asking, why have you done so? And he was also a very handsome man. And he was born after Absalom. He had conferred with Joab, the son of Zeruiah, and with Abiathar, the priest, 
And following Adonijah, they helped him. But Zadok the priest, Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, Nathan the prophet, Shimei, Rei, and the mighty men who belonged to David were not with Adonijah. Adonijah sacrificed sheep and oxen and fatlings by the stone of Zoheleth, which is beside Enrogel. And he invited all his brothers, the king's sons, and all the men of Judah, the king's servants. But he did not invite Nathan the prophet, Benaiah, the mighty men, and Solomon, his brother. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. How does David's life end? He ends by sort of marrying a young woman. Kind of, kind of hard to say exactly whether it was considered marriage or not, and that matters later on in the story. <clears throat> uh, he ends disengaged. That's how he ends. He ends disengaged. Now he's old. He's cold. He's tired. It's, it's understandable that he's a little bit disengaged, right? But here's, here's the problem. He suffers the consequences for being disengaged by having his own son rise up in an attempt to take the kingdom, to take the kingship for himself. He also is suffering the consequences for having been disengaged for a long time. He is an old man. His son Adonijah is a grown-up. Not 18, not 21, He's the fourth son. I don't know, he's probably in his late 40s or something. And his dad is the king. So, even when you're in your late 40s, you're still supposed to honor your father. Right, kids? You're going to remember that for the next 40 years? Still honor your father. But especially when he is the king, he has a way to make you listen, doesn't he? Even more so than any normal father. Normal father and mother can say things like, I brought you into this world, right? David can say that and also, and so help me, I will take you out of it. He has the power to execute, right? I'm quoting a comedian who is not in favor, but uh, how can you avoid realizing this is, this is actually the reality for David? He is the king. And... 
This is not a one-off. It's not like Adonijah was the only son that he had sort of just blown off and ignored and not bothered to be engaged and disciplined. He had had this very problem before. Remember what happened when Absalom rebelled. Remember that it came about because one of David's sons had been wicked and David had done nothing about it. And then another son began to be wicked. So, David is not just disengaged, sort of letting things happen in his kingdom, letting things happen with his son, but has been doing that with his sons, and he continues to suffer the consequences of it. Now, there's no major consequences in those 10 verses for us, right? We just read about his son getting some men, some chariots, you know, horses, and and saying, I'm going to be king next. What does David care, right? He's still king. He's still alive. Nothing bad happens. Well, as we'll see next week, his wife Bathsheba does have something to say about it. A wise man does listen to his wife when she has something to say about it. But what a shame it is that David doesn't act until that time. What exactly happens here? Well, what happens is a young man who is full of pride and ambition, arises. And that's what David doesn't deal with. That's what David does not deal with, is Adonijah, his son, who is proud and ambitious. And so... I want to talk about pride and ambition. I want to talk about the proud and ambitious man. Adonijah has plenty going for him, right? He is the king's son that has certain perks. He is one of the oldest of the sons. That has something going for it. He also is really good looking. And that is a perk, right? That's something you got going for you. It's one of the things that the red pill community tries to really drive home, that men's looks matter. They do. 
But all these things don't really matter. They don't make him king material, do they? They don't make him worthy of receiving the crown next. They don't mean that he is wise. They don't mean that he has knowledge or discernment. They don't mean that he is seeking to honor his father or honor God. What they do mean is that he gets the praise of man. And when you combine that with a father who never says no to him, who never crosses him, who never says, what in the world were you thinking? It's a recipe for disaster. And disaster is what comes as Adonijah begins to grow in pride and in ambition. Now, what is ambition? Do any of you kids know what ambition means? I see that hand, Clara. No. <laughs> any of you kids want to... Tell me what ambition means. Nobody wants to ha hazard the guess. They're all like, I'm too worried about being proud. <laughs> ambition is when you desire to accomplish great things. How's that? Is that, a, is that an easy enough? Is that easy enough to understand? Ambition is when you want to be great. Let's, let's put it that way. That's even simpler. You want to be great. That's what it means to be ambitious. You want to be great. And when you combine that with pride, so you think you are great, that's what pride is. Ambition is wanting to be great, and pride is thinking you are great it turns into a toxic mess. It makes you an idiot when you're proud and ambitious. It's bad enough to be one or the other, but they often come together. And so, here we see in Adonijah his pride and his ambition. His ambition comes out most clearly in him saying what? What does he say that shows his ambition? Kids? Surely one of you noticed. No, you already answered. Yes. I will be king. There's really nothing more ambitious than that, right? <laughs> I think I'm going to become king. That's what I'm going to do. Now, some of you kids have thought about being president before, right? I think I'm going to be president when I grow up. And hopefully your father has crossed you and said, fat chance. <laughs> or something of the sort. But Adonijah, he was ambitious. He thought, I'll be king. And then he, he, 
he thought it enough to actually start trying to do it. And so, in his pride, thinking that he was all that and able to do all that, he started, he started building himself up. Now, you remember Absalom started building himself up too. Some similar ways. Trying to raise the esteem of the people for himself. How did Adonijah do that? He had men run before him, rode in a chariot. It's all very impressive. If you've ever watched Ben-Hur and seen a chariot race, or just seen, we were, we were driving out to a small group and saw a single horse pulling a very small little cart with somebody riding on it. I don't remember, I don't know anything about horses or horse racing or all the various things that they ride in and on and so forth. But I'll tell you something. A little cart with a horse running around a track, it's amazing. It's impressive. Imagine turning that into a chariot, having probably, well, who knows how many horses. Chariots. Horsemen. So, this is a procession. This is a parade. This shows you that somebody important is going by. You have to get off the streets when important people come by. And you look at them and you notice them, right? And what do you notice? Man, that guy looks good. <laughs> and look at all the power he has. And look at all of the people that serve him. He's looking rather important. He's looking rather powerful. He, he's, he's looking rather kingly, I would say. You guys remember uh, Aladdin? Remember that? Make way for Prince Ali. He got runners running before him. Saying, here he comes. Look at him. This is Adonijah. He is very full of himself. Now, what I want to warn you is that it's not going to end well for Adonijah. Because remember, pride goeth before the fall. And Adonijah falls hard. We'll get to that later. But right now, I just want to be able to tell you pride and ambition are wicked, wicked things. And if you think you're super smart because you go to Mars Hill, that's you being proud. 
And if you think that by setting your life up just so you can make yourself a bunch of money, that's ambition. And so this is not something that Adonijah suffered from and that we can look at him and go, what was wrong with that man? Pride and ambition are things that we need to watch out for. And so I want to talk more about them, what we learn about pride and ambition just from these 10 verses. The first is that they both grow and thrive through lack of discipline, right? If your dad pops your bubble and says, ha, when you say you're going to be president, your pride is wounded, and that's a good thing when your pride is wounded, right? Because pride is wicked, and so we want to kill it. We're putting our sin to death. And that's discipline. When your father crosses you and says, what were you thinking? Why did you do that? As if only an idiot would do that. (laughs) Then what happens? He's disciplining you. And the fruit of it is, by God's grace, good. Right? Discipline is painful, hurts your pride, but in the end it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And so if there is no discipline, pride and ambition can grow and grow and grow because nobody's popping this man's bubble. And so if somebody pops your bubble, whether it's the bubble of pride or the bubble of ambition, You say, thank you. That's what you say. You say, thank you. I was getting a little bit full of myself, wasn't I? I was thinking only about me, wasn't I? I was thinking I was pretty hot stuff, wasn't I? Yeah. I'm an idiot. That's how you respond when somebody pops your bubble. Thank them for loving you enough to discipline you. Thank them for being engaged enough to speak into your life, to ask you, why did you do that? And and maybe they they ask it. I mean, you you think of discipline, right? This is is like the... There's a lot of ways of asking that that question. Why have you done so? It can just be a very innocent-sounding question, right? Why'd you do that? Thinking in the back of your mind, I wonder if I can get away with telling him my fake reasons, my righteous-sounding reasons why I did that. And then there's the, 
Why did you do that? Why have you done so? There's mild and and not so mild discipline. Just the same words, a little change in the tone of voice makes a big difference. But even asking that question is, no matter how your tone of voice, that's mild discipline. It's very mild discipline compared to what Adonijah is going to get in the end from his pride and his ambition. And so, let us not cause pride and ambition to thrive in ourselves or in others. Let us be engaged in discipline. What else does pride and ambition do? It turns men against those they should respect. Pride and ambition turned Adonijah against his father. He was seeking to supplant his father. Right? Wanting to take the kingship for himself rather than to let his father, the king, determine who was going to be king after him. Ambition means that those who are above you are in your way. Those who are above you are in your way when you are ambitious. And so you desire their honor. You desire their position. And often it is your fathers who are in your way. Ambition and pride, sadly, very, very often succeed in winning the approval of many. Think about that. Think about how many people went after Adonijah. He sets himself up as a very kingly man, and everyone's like, yeah, yeah, sure, he's, I'll be, oh yeah, I mean, sure, yeah, he can be king. Sounds good to me. Everything seems to be going well for this guy. Is everything going well for him? Seems to be. Yeah. How many people are following him? Lots of people. Oh, he's got lots of people. Look at how look at the Lord's blessing on him. Looks very blessed, doesn't it? Look at all the honor. Look at all the power behind him. Joab, you know Joab, right? Joab's behind him. David's never had a more faithful and more successful commander of the army than Joab. Joab's with Adonijah. And not just the military commander, God is on his side. You can tell just looking at it, God is on his side. Look at how it's blessed. His his course of action is just from, from victory unto victory. 
His father's not against it. And, and look, the priest, the priest of God is with him. Abiathar. And you remember Abiathar, right? I mean, Abiathar was with David through thick and thin. Helped him out through Absalom's rebellion. It's pretty obvious Adonijah's the next king, right? And I mean, I'm just... I'm just saying, you don't want to be on the wrong side of the next king. Right? Right? And so, is it easy to see through Adonijah? Well, it depends on whether you have eyes to see pride and ambition. Right? As far as eyes to see success, well, yeah, everybody's got eyes to see success. Everybody's got eyes to see numbers. Everybody's got eyes to see money. Everybody's got eyes to see chariots. Everybody's got eyes to see that sort of thing. But do you have eyes to see pride and ambition? When you see a man having runners before him and chariots, and horsemen to go with him. You think, that man thinks awfully highly of himself, doesn't he? <laughs> Have you ever seen a man in today's day and age, uh, you know, with a chariot? Anybody? No chariots, okay. How about uh, with runners to run before them? He has runners. Right? But I'm telling you, entourages exist. Okay? I've seen entourages that are very small and pathetic and laughable at Christian conferences. I remember one particular homeschool conference where a speaker thought very highly of himself. And he had an entourage of one, his, his personal assistant, who would deign to speak with me, but the speaker would not. And so the two of them would walk. Now, if you have seen uh, people who actually have success and power, and money in this nation. You've seen entourages that they have as well, right? It's not just the groupies following behind. It's the manager. I just found out, you know, that it, I, as far as I can tell, it's not uncommon for, for super successful musicians to have managers. You got so much going on, you got so much to manage, you need, you need managers. And it turns into quite the entourage. And, oh, the money they have. 
and the outfits they have. And the people that they pay to talk about how great their outfits are. And all of the tabloids that pile on. I mean, we've got pride and ambition. It still exists, right? And many do not see the pride and ambition. They don't see through it. They just see the success. They just see the success. Oh, God's favor appears to be being poured out upon this man. And, you know, this is one of the complaints that you run into in the Psalms over and over again. The the wicked! You appear to be pouring blessings out on the wicked, God! And here Adonijah is. The blessings are coming. And many do not see through it. But anybody in the streets, even the common beggar on the streets, should be able to have enough information to go on as they whoosh by to realize, I think there's some pride and ambition going on here. This is like the, you know, emperor's new clothes moment where the young boy's like, there's something wrong, but we don't want to see it. And why don't we want to see it so much of the time? Because nobody wants to be on the wrong side of the next king. Or to put it, to put it more in our day and age, think of all the benefits if you could just get in that circle. You know, you might just be a little hanger-on and, and you only get, you know, free tickets to shows. Or you might, you might be able to, you know, make a lot of money. Look at all the, look at all the blessings there are to go around with this guy. It's great. And so we, we see the rising fortune, and we know the rising tide raises all boats. And we think, I see this rising fortune. I will, I will throw my lot in with them. I'm going to jump on that bandwagon. Or at least I'm certainly not going to be found speaking against it. Pride and ambition, regardless, whatever I want to see or don't want to see, it's like, okay. Let's be careful. The rich and powerful can ruin your life awfully quickly. So, the proud and ambitious man carefully selects counselors. I was reading about a musician yesterday, R. Kelly. 
uh, court being tried right now for many things. It's not ending well for him. But I'll tell you, he had power and money and influence and managers and doctors who got paid with free trips and tickets. It's just... Just a doctor just doing the just just giving legitimate prescriptions. Never never billed insurance, never received any cash, just got perks. One of the things that I read was one of the managers testifying. And he said that he began to question what this man was doing. And the man said, whose side are you on? And so what did he do? He shut up because he knew which side his bread was buttered on. And he knew that he didn't want to get onto the wrong side. He didn't want to be cast out from the inner circle, and so he shut up. This is what pride and ambition surrounds itself with. Men who cannot actually hold you accountable, men who cannot actually say, hey, you know what? Uh, You're not all that. they carefully exclude those who threaten the picture. Now the wise, the wise man selects counselors just as carefully as the proud and ambitious foolish man, but on very different criteria. The proud man And the ambitious man is seeking to get rid of anybody who threatens the picture. Any sort of thing that would make there to be a question as to whether everything is on the up and up or whether anything is all that, whether there's actually gold behind the surface, you know. But the wise man selects counselors not based on who will bring power and prestige, but who will bring wisdom, and in particular, the ability to tell you no. And so what does that tell you about the proud and ambitious man? He is using everybody that is around him. They are all there to prop him up. Right? He is using men for the sake of the plan. Think about the poor brothers in this. All of David's sons. All of David's sons go to this party, right? And what happens? They're going to the they're going to the wrong party. They're being used.
Now, some of them, who knows what's going on with the brothers, but, but when you think about Joab, you can, you can make a, an educated guess as what's, to what's going on in his mind. Joab knows he's on the out and out with David. There's no more fighting to be done. David is finally at peace in his kingdom. Joab has a lot less purpose at this point. And David has not forgotten the murders that Joab has committed. The ones that were against David's wishes. Joab sees the writing on the wall. So yeah, he knows what he's doing. And he knows Adonijah is probably his only shot. So they're using each other, aren't they? But they're both trying to use each other. For the sake of their plan. The last thing I want to say about pride and ambition is that it does not hesitate to use God, to use religion, to use Christianity for the sake of the plan. He has a sacrifice. He brings in the priest. Is it because he's concerned about worshiping God? Is it because he's concerned that he have God's approval for what he's doing? Is, did, did, did he bring in Abiathar so that he could ask him the Lord's will? You know how many times David does that in his life, right? Over and over again. Seek the Lord. Adonijah's not seeking the Lord. He's seeking the appearance of the Lord on his side. And so ultimately, pride and ambition lead us to attempt to use God to further our plans. The proud man has no fear of God, so that's not a problem. The wise man looks at what the proud man does and says and does that whole, like, step away because we know what's coming. This man is using God to try to justify overthrowing the legitimate king. What do we think God is going to do to him? Are we allowed to just take God's name and stamp it onto things and say God approves of this? That is taking God's name in vain. That is what he is doing here by bringing in a sacrifice and bringing in the priest. He is intentionally seeking to deceive people by using God's name. God has told me. How many times have we heard that? 
makes me sick. I, I just remembered thinking of the uh, young college men at Wheaton College who would go to the women and say, God has shown me, God has revealed to me, God has told me I'm supposed to marry you. This is a proud, ambitious man acting like he is humble and seeking to follow God's will. Right? She says, well, he hasn't told me that. And three weeks later, he's going to another young woman. God has told me. This is taking God's name in vain. Pride and ambition doesn't even hesitate to use God. And so, if we are to turn aside from pride and ambition in these ways, all of these things that we've seen about pride, about ambition, we better learn to notice them. We better learn to notice them in ourselves and in other men. And then we better be putting them to death in ourselves. And we better be disciplining it in those under us. And have nothing to do with proud and ambitious men. Don't follow them. Don't be taken in by their scams, by their schemes. They will use you until you don't serve to prop them up anymore and you will be spit out. And all of their amazing plans that it looks like God is blessing are going to come to nothing in the end anyway. Fear God. Honor the king. <laughs> you see how different that is than the pride and ambition of Adonijah? No fear of God. I'm going to be king. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, what joy it is to have our eyes opened to sin in ourselves to see through the wicked schemes of the evil one and of evil men. Father, we pray that we would not be proud, that we would not be ambitious, but that we would seek that your name would be magnified and glorified above every other name, most especially above my name. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.